our first question is, a couple of weeks ago in the Q&A, you said that Jesus destroyed the cause of death at the cross. Can you go into more detail about this? What exactly is the cause of death that was destroyed at the cross? So I would encourage, I'm going to give you a little explanation. It's going to be very superficial. Um, but I, I explain this in detail in many, many places in the book, The God-Shaped Brain. Uh, if you go to our website and put in, um, you know, Christ's substitutionary atonement, um, Jesus and the cross, um, why Jesus had to die. We have multiple blogs on this. I have another blog that will be coming out in the next few weeks. It's in the editing process where I describe in further detail. But at the end of the day, um, Jesus, uh, it, it says in Hebrews 2.14, that Christ took upon himself human flesh, that by his death he might destroy him, holds the power of death, that is the devil. The devil holds the power of death, okay? And then ultimately our last enemy to be destroyed by Jesus in Corinthians is death. Jesus is the destroyer of death. And it says in Timothy that, that uh, through the gospel, Jesus destroyed death and brought life and immortality to life. And so what is the cause of death? Well, life, um, Jesus said in John 17, 3, that this is life eternal. They might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ from the sent. So the Bible tells us eternal life equals knowing God. Eternal death equals not knowing God. The power of death then is the lies that are told that we believe about God that keep us from knowing him or being intimate, not knowing about, but being united with him. So one element that Jesus came to destroy are the lies and says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I'm the way, the truth and the life. And so Jesus is the truth that destroys the lies that sever our trust in God. But we need more than that. Even, even understanding the truth um, we still have a carnal nature that is filled with fear and self-centeredness that we inherited from Adam, and that nature is alienate is, is or as, as it says in Romans chapter eight, um, the carnal mind is enmity against God. We we are hostile. We don't don't trust naturally. So we need the truth to win us to trust. But then we need a new nature that has the motives of Christ, the desire of Christ, the the life of Christ. So it's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And so Christ destroyed the lies, and He also at the cross took upon him, well, excuse me, at his birth, took up humanity, damaged by Adam's sin, and lived a perfect sinless life, and eradicated the fear and selfish drives, if you will, the desire to act in self-interest when he was tempted in all points like we are, see it in Gethsemane, strong human emotions, causing him anguish, to be tempted, if it were possible, to not go through the cross, he prays to his father, but whenever temptation came, and temptation is not sin, Jesus said, no one can take my life. I will give it freely. And Jesus, instead of giving in to the temptation, and that temptation did not come from outside himself like it did in the desert when the devil tempted it from outside himself, the temptation in Gethsemane came from the humanity, he assumed. And instead of giving in to that humanity, Jesus crushed that temptation with love. No one can take my life. I'll give it freely. Greater love is no man that he give his life for a friend. And thus at the cross, Jesus revealed the truth about the Father, destroying the lies about the Father, and crushed out the fear and selfishness that we inherit from Adam and restored perfect love in the humanity he took upon himself, and thus he rose in a new humanity. Uh, I searched the I searched for the, uh, quote, Book of Life in the Ellen G. White writings and found many instances, church, uh, church books, not uh, Lamb's Book of Life, um, not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, no place found in the Lamb's Book of Life, not in the Lamb's Book of Life, can't be retained names in the Lamb's Book of Life, etc. Um, where are the characters of the lost retained if, um, the, if they will not be, if they will be downloaded for the second resurrection? So you have to understand this language, Lamb's Book of Life, whether it's in Scripture, and it's many places in Scripture or in Ellen White's writings, uh, does not describe objective reality. 
literalism. There are not parchments made of lamb's skin with um, writing on them or books bound in leather with onion skin paper uh, in heaven containing a list of names and social security numbers to identify people by. That is not what's in heaven. This is simply a symbolic way of saying that the individualities of people are safe and secure and recorded and will be, and, and the point is, that, that there are some who are identified as having life. They're recorded in the, quote, book of life. It's not a book. It's whatever. It's, it's not a server farm that we would have today to record things on. Whatever it is, it's wherever God retains the individualities and identities of people. And what we can have assurance of is those individualities and identities will be uh, downloaded into either upgraded hardware, new, sinless, glorified bodies at the first resurrection, or downloaded into continually uh, fallen and not eternal bodies at the second resurrection. And that's what scripture teaches us. But it doesn't give us any clue as to whether the, the righteous are recorded in some server farm in Orion and the wicked are recorded, recorded in some server farm in Andromeda. Uh, I mean, we are not told this type of thing. Thank you for all the work. It's really awesome to see so many people waking up to the reality of the situation. I would like to hear your thoughts on this passage, Revelation 19, 19 through 21, which I think, uh, well, 19 through 21, please go over the description of this passage. Why is the beast and false prophet thrown into the fire uh, at the second coming? Why are the people deceived by, the, uh, by them and killed by the sword out of Jesus' mouth? What's the difference between the lake of fire and the sword out of Jesus' mouth? And so I would encourage when people have questions like this, if I've, uh, if I've paraphrased, then uh, jump to the paraphrase and read those verses. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read um, Revelation 19, 19 through 21 out of the remedy uh, and see if this doesn't answer the question. I saw the beastly power and the leaders of earth gather their armies together to make war against the rider on the horse and, the, and his army of light. But the beastly power was caught in its own lies and in a web of intrigue. This is exactly how they get caught. They get caught by the reality of their condition about the lies. They say truth will expose all the lies and their intrigue traps them in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing along with the false prophet who has performed miraculous signs on its behalf. It, it was with these signs that he had duped those who chose to mark themselves as loyal to the beastly power and model themselves after it. Thus, the two were thrown into the lake of unquenchable fire of truth and love, emanating from the unveiled presence of God, which consumes all sin. And all the followers of the beast were destroyed by the truth, which cut like a sword and came from the mouth of the rider with the white horse. And all the birds filled themselves with their corpses. And so is there a specific word of truth that Christ gives? Well, there's an indication that there is, that there's a, it's the general fires of truth that are flowing over the earth and consuming all the, that is out of harmony. But there is at least one recorded specific word of truth that brings this to a head at this point in time recorded in scripture. And this may be what is the sort of truth coming out of the Lord's mouth. And that sort of truth that is spoken at this time is, let him who is unjust be unjust still. Let him who is wicked be wicked still. Let him who is righteous be righteous still. Let him who is just be just still. And this is the word spoken at that time that probation is over 
All the evidence is in. There is no more truth to be revealed. There is no more reason for me to use power to hold at bay what I have been holding back. So the word is all things are set back to their natural state, my life-giving glory flowing over the earth. And then these things happen. So that's how I would understand that at this time. The temple of God, um, yeah, so, so, yeah, so somebody started to write a question here and it never got completed. So I'm not going to read what was stated because it just stops in mid-sentence and doesn't go anywhere. So if you have a question, then just resubmit that. Um, I've read the lie. I can e- the lie magazine. I can easily understand Satan's lie about imposed laws in the context of the Ten Commandment law given at Sinai. But I struggle to understand Satan's lie about imposed law in the context of heaven with no law. In Eden, again, again, no law, just God's words. Satan shows Eve uh, that by eating the fruit of the forbidden tree and not dying, God was a liar and could not be trusted. So what was Satan's lie in the uh, to the angels in heaven? God is lying about what? Why can't God be trusted? And so this question, you're confused because you have several fault, you have false premises in your question, and you got to remove those false premises. So rather than me giving you the answer today, I'm going to show you the false premise, and I want you to go back now and study. Here's the false premise. Um, I can easily understand Satan's lie about imposed laws in the context of the Ten Commandments law given a sign lie, but I struggle to understand Satan's lie about imposed law in the context of heaven with no law. You have a premise that there was no law in heaven. That's not true. There was a law in heaven. And you have a premise that there was no law in Eden. That's not true. There was a law in Eden. You need to go back and reflect what type of law was in operation in heaven before Satan rebelled? What type of law was in operation in Eden? And then and then with that in mind, how did Satan get the angels and Adam and Eve to rebel? And you will notice that Satan's words in, in Genesis introduce the lie in a very subtle way that God's law is imposed. But there is a law in operation. Correct your, your assumption, understand how that law functions, and then process this. And if that doesn't give you the answer, then, then resubmit the question. Um, it says, is, uh, is, is the book of Enoch valid? It depends on what you mean. Is it valid as a piece of fiction? Yeah, it's valid as a piece of fiction. If you're asking, is it an inspired word of God? No, in my judgment, it is not an inspired word of God. It's a piece of fiction. Right before Jesus comes, we will see, will we see more people turning to him or more people turning away from him? Yes, we will. (laughs) So through history, there have been three general groups of people, a small group of people through history who are sealed to God and so settled they cannot be shaken from it. Example, Job perfect and righteous in all his ways, and no tribulation could shake him out of his loyalty to God. That's an example. Uh, People who are so settled into the lie, no amount of truth will have any impact upon them. 
And you could say the people who crucified Christ, when Christ was speaking directly to them, they would not repent and they would not give their hearts to him. They were settled into the lie and would not turn away from it. And then a group in the middle who are neither sealed to God nor perfectly hardened against him. They're that middle group that are still in the valley of decision. Before Christ comes, that middle group settles into one or two of the other two camps. And so there will be more people turning to God, and there will be more people turning to, 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 to uh, God's enemy. If you're asking quantitatively which will be more, most people have historically said by evidence of Scripture that more will rebel and there will only be a remnant saved. But whatever the numbers are right now, we will have more going into both camps. Revelation 18.6 talks about Babylon reaping a double portion. What might that look like? It's rather curious. I think it's pretty straightforward. It's simply describing that, and you think about it this way, and we, and we even in our own human justice system uh, do this to an extent. If someone hires an assassin to commit a murder, the assassin will be held guilty but the person who hired them will be held guilty for the murder and for the hiring of them. <laughs> okay? And so there's a double portion going on the one who hired them. In this context, if you read the context, Babylon is being held responsible for the people that Babylon seduces and leads into their wickedness. So Babylon is responsible for their own wickedness, and there's a certain portion of responsibility that Babylon is responsible for that the people they led into wickedness for doing. I think that's what it's actually describing there. Why did Jesus quote Psalm 22 rather than using his own words? And why did Mark quote the original language of my God, my God? Um, why? Does it provide any insight into how Jesus felt inside when he experienced a temporary separation from his physical body to satisfy our understanding of the human death? So, couple of things. I think there's a couple of misunderstandings or ways to process this. First, I don't think Jesus was distraught about physical dying. I think his distress came when, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When he felt the, the breakup of his intimacy and union with his father, that was the agony that he suffered. He suffered it in Gethsemane and he just suffer, suffered it again on the cross, not simply um, the, uh, the physical ceasing of physiologic functions. But why did he uh, quote the Psalms? That's an interesting question. I think he quote, you know, you can answer this a variety of ways. One, because he identified with the Psalms. Have you ever found a verse of scripture that absolutely expressed what your heart was going through and you, and you clung to it at that moment and expressed that verse of scripture because it's exactly where your heart was at that moment. So one answer is, well, Jesus was quoting the scripture because it expressed exactly his heart. My God, my God, you're, why have you forsaken me? Another explanation, though, is that Jesus was not quoting scripture, that, that David was prophesying what Jesus would say, and Jesus was saying his heart, and David prophesied with, with the Holy Spirit, giving him the prophecy of what Jesus would one day say. So, so there is that aspect of it as well, too, because it was a, a messianic um, um, Psalm. Just read in, uh, this in the great controversy. The holy city in New Jerusalem is called the bride, the wife of the lamb. Clearly then the bride represents the holy city and the virgins that go out to meet the bride are symbolic of the church. Uh, the people of God are said to be the guests at the marriage. If guests, they cannot represent the bride. What, that's uh, great controversy 426. What are your thoughts uh, on the bride not being the church? So I encourage you to get our magazine 
the wedding of Christ to his bride uh, and uh, read it. We explain it in here. And the, the bride is the church. And it's uh, explicitly said in multiple places. It's in this one context that this author is suggesting in this one prophecy, because within scripture, one symbol can represent a lot of different things. But I would encourage you to get this and read this, and it'll give our explanation. You can get this for free if you have a U.S. postal address. We'll ship it anywhere in the in the U.S. postal address at no cost. It's on our website, so you can get a PDF and download. You can read the flip version, so you can go read this this afternoon uh, online if you'd like. It says, how would you comfort the remaining family about their loved one who committed suicide? The only thing I could think of was that the Bible teaches there is only one unpardonable sin and the fact that Samson committed suicide and he is listed as a hero of faith. Do you have any other biblical uh, design law insight? Yes, go to our website, type in suicide. We have a couple blogs I've written on this for this very purpose. I think you might find some some ideas there that could be helpful. But in, in the, um, in the uh, end of the day, suicide is, is a symptom of a problem, a mental health problem that isn't being treated. And, uh, and we are not held accountable for symptoms of health problems. So, uh, but I would encourage you to read the blog on that. What do you say to someone who's very recently excited, uh, excited about recently discovered books of scripture, the books that uh, didn't make it into the 66? Uh, the best I could come up with um, was read them through the lens of Jesus. If they give you a different picture of God than Jesus did, then they are not true. Is there a better, more complete answer? Well, I think there's several really good answers. I think your answer is a succinct one. There's scholarly answers, and, and the scholars uh, through time have compared these to the 66, and they don't meet muster for a variety of reasons, from the uh, higher criticism of when they were written to the context of the stories told to the character they revealed. And so, you know, I think that, that uh, you are right to give great caution and point out the inconsistencies in many of these so-called uh, newer uh, uh, or discovered scriptures that aren't in a 66. I say all that because I think the 66 are enough. I don't think there, there needs to be something added. But in truth, according to the 66, and even Ellen White in Desire of Ages, there are other inspired scriptures that did not make it into the 66. Um, the, the, the Magi from the East are referred to as reading some of these other documents and um, following them and they and, and brought them to Christ. So I, I am not so close-minded to say there may not be some other inspired writings that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. I haven't seen any. The ones that are common, like the Book of Enoch or the uh, uh, the uh, Epigrapha, the and so forth, they, they don't measure up. And I think they're pretty, um, for those of us who have, have looked at this, I'm quite confident that they are uh, their important, you know, value for historical reference as a historical book or or something, but they, but they don't have the same measure of, of inspiration. And um, is guilt the same as knowing right from wrong? No, you don't have to experience guilt to know right from wrong. So no, having a sensitive conscience, having discernment and discrimination would cause one to avoid. Uh, ever doing things that would cause one to feel guilt. Uh, via artificial intelligence and its tendency to induce reliance on the expert, 
so as to facilitate shutting down one's own mental faculties, do you see and or anticipate special opportunities for delusion already in at, at work and possibly astonishingly more so in the future? For me, it's more, it's, the AI isn't as big a deal other than to the degree the AI is used to filter the information. The big deal is the information we receive and, and um, everything going digital, um, um, historic information platforms like encyclopedias and dictionaries. Encyclopedias and dictionaries online were all edited recently on certain words to change the meaning of the words. Uh, it's quite interesting uh, because the historic meaning uh, showed that certain political groups in the world were lying or presenting a fraud or, or presenting things exactly the opposite of what they are. And this is demonic. Satan is the father of lies and he gets power over us by getting us to believe falsehoods. And so to the degree the AIs and these big uh, digital platforms can can filter and change what we recognize as, a, a, as a, an authority, like a dictionary, like an encyclopedia, like a Bible, for instance, uh, then that has the ability to get us to believe things that are false, and that has real power over us. So that is an area I would be very cautious, and that's a place why we want to keep things in print and books, because you understand with these big AIs and digital platforms, they can change worldwide all the dictionaries that are online overnight, and all the sudden we wake up and we all have, let's go to the dictionary. Oh, I didn't know it taught that. Well, it didn't yesterday. It does today. And that's where, you know, the print versions uh, can, can have some you know, historical security to us. But the other thing I think that you should watch for is cybernetic enhancements. And they are right on the cusp of being rolled out onto the population where you can get a little chip embedded into your brain that will interact with your brain and you won't need your cell phone anymore. You can have it displayed in your visual cortex and you can do everything you can do with your cell phone and so much more and it's so much faster and so quick and you can have an entire encyclopedia and all the databases. You can look things up. You'll never be without directions again. You'll never get lost again. You'll never be without a phone number again. Your memory will never fail again. You will blah, 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 and on and on it goes. But once that's embedded, it will be able to alter impact, influence, your decisions, your moods, your memories, and so forth. And my personal view is it's through, and of course Ellen White says this, it's through the brain nerves that the Holy Spirit interacts with man and affects the inmost life. And once you put a cybernetic chip inside your brain, in my view, you affect you alter the, the quantum frequency of your brain and you cut yourself off from the Holy Spirit. And I think this is the, the grander, and this is Satan's goal. We were created to be image bearers of God where he dwells by his spirit. Putting the cybernetic enhancers in or uh, created by fallen sinful human beings, I think is part of Satan's end time strategy to, to solidify the image of sinful fallen human beings in human in, in humanity that to create his image in us going well beyond what you see through history and and so make us artificial drones almost that just operated his command isn't, isn't there already some emerging evidence that uh, a recent gene therapy agent is already having that effect on our brains uh, well, I, I've seen some speculation that the spike protein given to everyone, given to everyone who took it, um, has uh, been uh, identified now in the brains of of people and may be exerting um, some gene effects and uh, supposedly having an effect to diminish autonomy and an increasing a willingness to comply right. and uh, and and do what what one is told. I've seen some some speculation about that. I haven't seen it proven, but it's certainly being talked about in certain circles. 
Let's close with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and for the truth that you've given us. We ask now that you will uh, finish the work you've begun in our lives, the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, settle us both intellectually and spiritually into your word that we can be like Job, so settled into the truth that nothing will shake us out of it, no matter what comes, and we can stand faithful for you to give the true witness, and uh, and that many more will see this witness and turn to you and away from this, this uh, false system of this world. We pray in your holy name. Amen.